left off back last November, I think it was. We finished at Mark 10, verse 31. So today, as you've heard from the reading, we're continuing on verse 32 to 45. And as you can see from the sermon title there, uh, and as you can guess from that, we're going to be looking at the topic of Christian service, as Sibrin has also said as well. So the reason why we're looking at this subject today is that the idea of the Christian being the servant, or even the slave, as is translated in the, the NIV reading that we had, being the servant of others, is what really stroke, spoke to me whenever I first read this passage. So today I'd like us to think a bit more about that, but not so much the how of how we go about being servants, but what's more interesting for me anyway is more the why, why it is that we should be the servants or must be the servants of others. Okay? But before we get into that, we'll maybe just take a quick overview back over this passage that we just had read for us. This section of Mark can really be split into three separate subparts, if you will. Firstly, we have Jesus speaking about his death and resurrection. Um, for not the first time in Mark, in fact, it's the, the third time in Mark. If you look at the section headings in your Bible, it'll often say this is the third time Jesus speaks about his death and resurrection to his disciples, who... From the reaction, obviously, you have no idea really what he's talking about or what's involved there. Because the second part then <coughs> excuse me, of uh, the reading is the unusual request, shall we say, of James and John being made of Jesus. And that then serves to introduce the third part, which is where Jesus is teaching his disciples some key truths about the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's fair to say it's tradition in sermons in this church to have three points in the sermon. And since I've just split this passage up into three individual sections, you may be thinking that that's going to be my three points. But sadly, to disappoint you, that's not actually going to be the case after all. Instead, I'm going to focus much more on the final part of the passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples the difference, some of the differences between the kingdom of God and its view of things and the world's view of things servanthood being the key difference in question here, really. Rest assured, though, with this being my very first ever sermon, I'm not going to deviate too much from the norm and will indeed have three points for you to take away at the end of the service. So you can be relaxed on that. I'm not going to go on all day, I hope. So back to the passage. At the beginning of this passage, we find the disciples and those following Jesus being filled with astonishment and fear. So to try and understand what may have caused that, we need to go back to the previous section, which we studied in November, and just see how that finishes. That finishes with the words, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So this is a well-known phrase, if not exactly common phrase for us here today. We've heard it many times before, I'm no doubt. But to those who heard it first 2,000 years ago, it obviously must have been quite shocking if we just go by the reactions here of astonishment and fear. The listeners just weren't used to the idea that greatness can come through service. Instead, for them, greatness is, as described uh, in, when Jesus talks later in this passage, greatness to be found in being served by others and being waited upon by others. To reinforce this point, though, of service being important and the first being last, Jesus says something very similar at the end of today's passage, which is uh, going to be up on the slide as well. This, this key quote is what I'm going to be largely talking about. It's verse 43 onwards. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these words in today's passage is at least the third time Jesus has made this point to his disciples. We have today's passage. We have something similar that I just mentioned before at the end of the previous section. And if you turn back in your Bibles a couple of pages to Mark 9, the previous chapter, verse 35, we'll find these words. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So since Jesus found the idea of the Christian being the servant of all worth repeating so many times, And since Mark, when writing his gospel, found it worth repeating similarly so many times, it's probably something that's worth each of us studying as well. So, based on that, let's look a little at this question posed by the sermon title, Why Do We Serve? So, there's many possible answers to this question, but given I've been advised to keep this sermon to 23 minutes tops, and also then was given the follow-on advice that 20 minutes is fine, and actually 15 is fine as well. Now, I don't see myself making the 15, but you can hope, I suppose. Uh, anyway, because of that, I'm only going to look at three of them, as promised. Okay? The first one of these, I or you may think, is fairly obvious, but I think it's worth talking about anyway. The first reason why we are meant to be the servant of others is because we're told to be. It's a straight command from God himself, so there could be no arguments about it. Now, if we look at the verses I just referenced a minute ago, and if you want to be pedantic about it, and I unfortunately sometimes can be that way, there's no clear command to serve as given there exactly. It's just that those who want to be great or want to be the first should be the servant of all. However, we don't have to go much further in our Bibles or through the New Testament to find Jesus telling his disciples explicitly to serve one another. Think of the Last Supper. Think of the night before the crucifixion when the disciples are all together in the upper room. What does Jesus get up and do during dinner? He gets up and washes his disciples' feet. But what does he say to them thereafter? He says, recorded in, this is John 13, verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Now, it's fair to say he wasn't just talking literally about washing feet, though I suppose that could come into it from time to time. But he was giving a wider command to his disciples to serve each other. In case there's any doubt about it, though, we can go further through the Bible and find other examples. One good example is in Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul there, in his epistle, tells his readers, serve one another humbly in love. Serving others is not optional. We're to go out of our way to help one another practically as brothers and sisters. After all, Jesus' act of washing feet was indeed a very practical and needed act at that time. And we're called to support one another too. We are, after all, called to carry one another's burdens. Again, it's not optional. All that said... If the only reason we serve others is because we're told to, there'll be a rather cold, unfeeling form of service that we offer. Which brings us to the second reason why we should be the servant of others, love. Listen again to that verse from Galatians 5. Serve one another 
humbly in love. After all, God loves us with a greater love than we could ever imagine, and that love should flow through us by the power of the Spirit into loving other people. That love should then compel us to serve freely and joyfully. I believe that love for one another was one of the marks of the early church as recorded in Acts, where we're told that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. That clearly sounds like a group where great love is being shown and also great acts of service from one to the other. But even more than that early church, look to Jesus himself, our suffering servant, as he's described in Isaiah, and yet, despite that description in our passage and in the previous ones, the disciples clearly had no idea of Jesus coming as a servant. They just completely failed to grasp that. But look at the words that Jesus says here. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, that's a title he often takes for himself. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So look at him washing his disciples' feet. Look at him healing others, feeding the hungry, feeding the crowds that came and give his life as a ransom for many. Look to the cross. Yes, it was the Father's will that he would die. He went to the cross out of obedience. But even more than that, it was love for all mankind that brought him and made him go willingly to the cross in the ultimate act of service and sacrifice for us. So then, we are called to be a church, a church family, where each one serves the other out of love. But then I don't think that's enough. I think we need to go even further than that. Think through all the teachings of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels. Surely one parable which shows us how we should behave in serving others is to be found in Luke 10, that well-known story of the Good Samaritan, one I'm sure we're all familiar with and probably have heard multiple sermons on. That story starts, or the lead into that story, starts with a discussion as to the greatest commandments, which we're told, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we have the story of the Good, uh, good Samaritan, as told by Jesus. And then that finishes with what I think is one of the most powerful and yet simplest lines in all the Gospels. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we're told to be like the Good Samaritan and to do as he did in showing love and serving the attacked man in the story. But consider this. The man in the story who was attacked, he wasn't a Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was the man who helped him. That man who was attacked was presumed was a Jew because Jesus was speaking to a crowd in Judea at this, po in Judea at this point. And as a Jew, that man would have looked down upon and never associated with the Samaritans, and vice versa. The Samaritan would never have associated with the Jew. This story of the Good Samaritan is Jesus visualizing for us how to put into practice the dictum of love your enemy as much as love your neighbor as yourself. So then for us, we must serve one another in love as brothers and sisters in Christ, but we must also look to to be the servant of others out beyond the church and show our love to them too. We are, after all, told that it was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. And we're told that Jesus, when he was alive on earth, looked on the crowd surrounding him and had compassion on them as we were like sheep without a shepherd. 
Presumably not everybody in that crowd later became a member of the early church, and not everybody who was healed or witnessed a miracle became a member of that group of believers. Jesus was a servant of all, and so should we be. So then, by loving others and serving them, we're imitating Christ and showing the goodness of Christ to them. In doing so, we hope we're also making Jesus and the gospel more attractive to them. Think back again to that early church that I referenced earlier. We're told there that their numbers were being added to daily, something we unfortunately are not used to seeing here in this day and age. But I'm sure the love that the church members showed one for each other and the acts of service they had for one another was part of what attracted so many people to that group of believers that their numbers were being added to. That's not to say naturally that just serving others will, is, is guaranteed to bring more people to faith in Christ. We must look to the Holy Spirit to do that, to work in their lives, and we must witness the word directly to them. But it certainly will not hurt in softening people's hearts and making them open to hear the gospel, and maybe even attract them into coming through the doors of this church or through one of the other churches in Limerick where they can actually hear the gospel being preached to them directly. So that idea of winning others for Christ through service is kind of what inspired my third point about why we should be servants. We've looked at two so far, as you can see on the slide. We serve because we're commanded to and out of obedience. We serve others because we have a desire to do so in love. The third and final reason I'd like to cover as to why we serve is that it brings glory to God. Cast your minds back to, I think it was the start of last year, Paul, you were going through in the family talks some of the questions and answers from the Westminster Catechism. It's always stuck with me, the first question there. The question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Think for a minute what that's saying. It's saying that our whole lives, everything we do, should be focused primarily on ensuring that God gets glorified. And I believe being a servant of others is a very important part of us fulfilling that chief aim. Think of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount as recorded in Matthew 5. So, if we, Matthew 5, verse 14, we have Jesus telling the people, you are the light of the world. And then he goes on, expands on that thought, and finishes that section with the command given in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We should serve others in the church and glorify God through the act of serving, but ideally also cause a person we are serving to give praise and thanks to God too for our service. While we may get thanks, you know, that's nice to get, the real thanks and praise for our service should always go to God. Similarly, for those of us who are served by others, we should give thanks in God for our brother and sister who has served us. It's nice at the end of the services here every Sunday, you know, the people who helped uh, on the music, on the tech desk and all, are always thanked. That's really nice that we do that. But let us also remember every Sunday to praise and thank God that we have here in this church 
so many people willing and able to step up and serve us each Sunday. God should be glorified. As with service for other reasons, service for the glory of God, though, extends beyond the church too. It's great that this church regularly gives money to other causes and charities throughout the world for the poor, the homeless, the destitute. Think of the work on Tear Fund. I think that the work they do in the developing world is a wonderful example of Christians bringing glory to God through service to others. But without us heading off on missions elsewhere throughout the world, we too should do the same wherever we are, right here in Limerick City or in Clare or wherever it may be. We should look to glorify God through serving those around us. So before I wrap up, though, one final thought on these three reasons of service we've looked at. They're all linked to each other, too. We serve others because we are commanded to, but we glorify God both through the service, but also the obedience to the command. We follow the command out of love, and yet we follow another command in loving too. And through that love, we also bring glory to God by reflecting some small part of his goodness and love in this fallen world. So then, why do we serve? I've only touched on three reasons. Obedience, love, and to glorify God. But I'm sure there are many more. Humility, for example. There's probably enough other reasons for a whole other sermon. But these three will do us for today. So then, in finishing, as with all good sermon conclusions, we must turn our focus back again to Jesus. In being the servant, as in all things, he is the perfect example to follow. Look at today's passage. It started with Jesus talking, in verse 32, to uncomprehending disciples about his ultimate act of service and sacrifice for us, the cross. The passage ends with that verse on the screen, with what I've just talked about, and the words, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That once-for-all act of service gives us life as long as we put our trust in him. And so, from now on, with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, let us go out from here as obedient, loving, glorifying people of God, ready to serve God and to serve other people too. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for your teachings given to us through your word. Thank you for your example of service and sacrifice. And Lord, we just pray on each of us now, Lord, that we may truly be the servants of others and may glorify you through those acts of service. Amen.